0: So we're working our way through uh, some Old Testament books, what we're calling Strong Old Testament Women. We worked our way through the book of Esther. Now we're working our way through the book of Ruth. We'll finish up with the month uh, it, and start a series on James starting in June. So last week, we saw this potentially scandalous situation between Boaz and Ruth, but it turned out instead of being scandalous to be this incredible blessing from God for Naomi for Ruth and for Boaz, as they each are trying to bless each other. So, just kind of background here. Let, let, let's, let's, you know, some, some of you can skip this recap. For the rest of you, let me catch you up. Um, so, Ruth is a Moabite. This woman named Naomi and her family, there was a a famine in the land of Bethlehem. And God said, when I send famine, when I send hard things, it's kind of like a check engine light. You're supposed to stop and look and say, what's going on in my life? What's going on in the life of the nation? And maybe we should repent of something. God specifically said that in the Old Testament. And so this famine comes and this family says, you know, that is not gonna work for us. So the check engine light comes off. We're We're just gonna pull this car off the road. It's gonna buy a new car. So they just left, abandoned their land, and they went to a different land. They went to Moab. And Moab is kind of like Fight Club. Okay, you do not go to Moab. You do not talk about Fight Club. You stay away from there. But they went anyway. And so what happened was, under the judgment of God, the, the, Naomi's husband died. Their two sons died after they'd married. And so they had these three widows in a time of intense patriarchy, in a time when women couldn't really have access to property, have access to any kind of means, and they are in a tough situation. Naomi feels the pressure and God uses that pressure to bring Naomi to repentance. She actually repents, the text says, and goes back to the land of Israel. And she goes back assuming that she's messed up so bad, there's no grace left for her, but maybe she can at least live in the land of Israel. And so God spends this entire time in the book of Ruth showing Naomi how gracious he is, restoring her back to grace and also showing that this foreigner, this wrong type of person, Ruth, is also brought in to God's family because God's grace is for all kinds of people no matter where they come from. So we pick up there. They meet this wonderful man named Boaz who helps take care of them and they're each all trying to bless each other now that God has taken care of their fears and taken care of their insecurities. They're anchored. And We saw that was a really good reminder for us that secure in our relationship to God We can love each other as we ought as well. So Boaz at this point has agreed to take care of Naomi and to marry Ruth. It's this ancient practice called redemption that we're gonna unpack today. But first, he has to deal with the first redeemer. This is someone who's closer in relationship who it's their job to take care of this situation. Okay, now this situation, what am I talking about? In ancient Israel, God was the ultimate landowner and so he divisioned out the portions of land for people and it was by tribe, it was by family, and that was their lot, that was their inheritance from the Lord. If they got into financial situations or they got into hard times, they had to liquidate that land. They didn't sell it out of the family. Instead, they sold the use of it to somebody else and if they couldn't bring it back, it was the job of a more well-off relative to redeem that property and bring it back into the family and also to redeem any of the family Members. so this is a specific situation Elimelech Naomi's husband is dead his line is going to die so the Redeemer's job is to help Naomi somehow get a son so that the name of that family will continue and they're supposed to use this land to fund that project that's what redemption is if I can put it in, in our terms today so Boaz has agreed he's in line to do that but he's not first in line there's somebody else And so he's going to help her see what happens. Now, the text today really wants us to understand that this is about redemption. The Hebrew word for redemption or redeem occurs 14 times in the first eight verses. They really want us to get this. So as we walk through this text today, you can stay seated. We're going to read the whole passage at once, so just stay seated. It's a little long. I want you to look for that word redeem or redemption because it occurs a lot. So if you would, you can turn to page, I believe 10, is where the ESV translation is, and on page 11 is a children's version we've provided as well. You wanna have both those in front of you, we will refer to both of those. Or if you want to, you can pull up your uh, uh, ESV app on your smartphones, or you can uh, open your own Bible. But today, Ruth chapter four, verses one through 12, this is God's word. <clears throat> now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of who Boaz had spoken came by. And so Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you." And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon. And Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, and together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem and may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Oh, this is God's word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that even through this ancient text full of weird names and weird practices that you show us the beauty of your grace. how you come after us with kindness, even when often we don't deserve it, or we feel at least we don't deserve it. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts once again to see the miracle of redemption and to understand what that is, that we might once again see the beauty of Jesus. We pray all this, Lord, in his great name. Amen. So if you're visiting with us today, welcome, we're glad you're here, I promise we are going to make sense of all these weird things, taking off shoes and all these weird names, it'll make sense, trust me on this one. So to get us started into what's going on in this text here, I kinda wanna make a confession, it's this, I hate paperwork. I really do, I hate paperwork. Especially like financial banking kind of stuff, I get really anxious. Like just this past um, Friday, my jo- my son Joseph got his first job. He's gonna be at the McDonald's here in Food Lions. so if you go in there you can say hi to him. Um, and he needed a bank account, a local bank account. So he went in, to, and it's not even my, my account, I've started getting all, anxious I don't know why I don't get anxious in other situations but man financial banking paperwork oh just kills me so we have been to far too many closings and anybody our age should and um I remember I, every time I'm just a wreck and I remember the second closing we were ever part of we're walking into the closing place and my sweet little wife stops grabs me in the chest and says listen here Sawyers and I can tell when she calls me my last name it's always you know, affectionate um she goes, I love this house don't mess it up with your paperwork thing I was like, I was like, okay, okay, we can do this, we can do this, so I get through it, we, we make it. It's just, it's like, it's like the official nature of the thing, you know, there's, there's obligations, there, there's penalties, there's like, it's like major adulting when you go into a real estate closing, and that's exactly what we see here in, in Ruth chapter four. This is a real estate closing in an ancient town, and redemption is part of this closing. Redemption takes place in a courtroom. It's official. And that's what I really want you to understand today is that biblical redemption, it's legal. It's substantial. It's official. And we need to read it that way or we will miss the point. And that gets us to our theme for today. I kind of want to give you a theme every week to kind of show you where we're gonna go and that it's this, this week. Redemption is about a courtroom and a cost, not feelings and whims. So we jump right in, we see first thing, redemption is legal. So Boaz is at the city gate. This is where official business is done. In fact, archaeologists have discovered in several ancient Near Eastern sites when they've excavated the gates, all around the gate area there is benches where people could sit down and do official business. This was the place where everybody would come in and out every evening and every morning. So it made sense that this is where official business happens. So Boaz goes there and it just so happens a specific person he is looking for steps on by and so Boaz calls out literally, hey you, come sit here. He then grabs 10 elders as they walk by because hey, y'all sit down too. So what's going on here? Why is he grabbing this guy? Why is he having 10 people? He's putting the legally constituted court in order. He's getting a quorum together because redemption's not a sentiment. It's legal, it's official, it's a real estate closing. See, real grace, Real redeeming love, it's willing to bind itself. That kind of love, real love, wants to bind itself to another to bring them security. We all have heard the story, or we all know that person. Maybe we were those people, but you know, we don't need a piece of paper to show how much we love each other. That is not the voice of sacrificial real love because real love wants to bind itself to another because in the giving up of my autonomy for you, I give you security and I give you a foundation. That's what biblical real love is and that's what we see here. We can say that Boaz sacrificially loves Ruth. And how do we know? I mean, there's been no hints really in the text. We like to try to read it in there because we're such a romantic kind of culture, but there's been nothing in the text actually that shows there's been any kind of spark or any kind of attraction or anything. How do we know that Boaz loves Ruth? Because he sacrificially gives up for her. He's willing to be the redeemer. He's willing to bind himself to her. And just by that fact alone, the text here enforces, this is what real love looks like. It's official, it has signatures, it has obligations, and so too, dear Christian, recognize, redemption is about a courtroom. It's about a cost. It's not about feelings, it's not about whims, it's not that one day Jesus woke up and looked at you like a puppy and thought, I think I'll redeem you. No, it's about cost, and it's about, I'm gonna rescue these people by paying a price. It's not a peaceful, easy feeling, We don't get together, and if you're from an older generation, we don't get together and sing kumbaya. No, that's not redemption. Redemption is about guilt, and it must be taken care of legally, or to use the biblical word, covenantally, it must be taken care of. Someone's got to pay the penalty to redeem something back. And the redeemer is the one who fixes that, who pays that penalty. So back at the gate... Boaz tells, we'll just call him guy. Boaz tells the guy, hey, Naomi's land needs to be purchased. And again, it gets kind of weird. So what, what I wanna do is I'll, I wanna walk through different parts of the children's version so we can understand it together. So let's look at verse, ele- uh, excuse me, verse four on page 11 of the kid's version. Here's, where, here's how I put it for the boys and girls. <clears throat> I thought you should know about it and I've assembled the court here so you can go ahead and take care of Naomi like you're supposed to. And if you don't buy the land, then I will because one of us has to do it. And the guy said, thanks, I will redeem Naomi's land. See, in God's blessing, in God's economy, the the way things work is land and people go together. Family and land go together. He blessed his people to be a people and to have a place. It's a community and a home, we could say. That's God's design. And so the redeemers were the relatives with the responsibility to put those two things back together when some sort of hardship demanded they be separated. Naomi had to separate herself from her family's land because of the famine, and now Boaz is gonna be the redeemer who puts those back together again because that's what God does. See, the original blessing of God If you think about it, way back in the beginning in Genesis, that original story, it was family and land. Adam and Eve were put in a garden to flourish. And yeah, they they blew it. Land and family were separated. But now in the New Testament, we see Jesus comes as a second Adam. He's human like us to be our relative, to be our redeemer. He comes and he pays the price legally to reunite us with Eden, as it were. The lost land, to put us back into God's family, in God's place, to make us a new people heading towards a new home where we can be fulfilled, where we can flourish. See, the church of Jesus Christ, the the forgiven community of sinners, we're a foretaste of that new community that's coming in Jesus Christ, the new home that awaits us because God has redeemed his people to be a family in a place. And we see a picture of that here. So true redemption is legal. It's not sentimental. And the next thing we see is that redemption is costly. But as the story goes along, good news, right? It's going to happen. The guy is going to take care of Naomi. Then Boaz is kind of like one of those. Remember back when commercials, remember back when you used to watch broadcast TV? Remember this thing? And you couldn't pause and you couldn't rewind, you couldn't skip ahead. Remember that? And you had to call someone with the telegraph, I think, too, at the same time? So remember those commercials that would be on, especially later at night, for all those hocking all those products for how much was the cost? 1995, right? Remember those? And remember how every single commercial seemed to end at the last 15 seconds with, but wait, there's more. If you order right now, we'll also throw in and I think Boaz is maybe challenged one of those, because right as the guy says yes, he's like, hey, but wait, there's more. If you close this deal right now, you also get a new wife. See, <laughs> Because see, it had been all about land, not family right now. And now it's about family. It just got real. And Boaz brings up the family redemption. You, gotta, you can't just get the land, brawl. You gotta keep Naomi's family name alive too. Ruth needs a child, and the Redeemer has to handle that too. Technically, Boaz is appealing more towards the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Kind of like how the CDC guidelines for masks say should now instead of must. So you know, two, guy didn't, um, get, the guy didn't have to do this part, but he should. It wasn't required, but it would probably be the best thing And there's witnesses now, too, so there's social pressure. Now it's public. The other redeemer can't just ignore Ruth now. He can't just take the land and not Ruth, or he'd be shamed. And in a shame culture, you don't want to do that. So he either has to redeem it all, or he has to redeem none. Let's make sure we get his answer here. Let's look together at verse 6. He said this, the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, here's where I'm supposed to bash this guy, right? He's worldly, he's selfish, he's not doing his duty. And then I'm supposed to like twist that and apply it to you and be like, and so too, there have been times when you're worldly and you're selfish, you haven't done your Christian duty. But that's not in the text. The text does not fault this man at all. He, instead, he candidly admits, I don't have those resources. I lack the ability to do that, I can't do it. I wanna make sure you capture this, or here's how I put it for the kids. Let's all look at verse six in the kids' translation. He says this, he says, I don't have the money to buy the land, support Naomi, Ruth, and a child, and then give the land back to the child for free? The cost would damage what goes to my own children. You can do it, Boaz, I just can't afford it. I mean, Boaz was single. He seems well off from the story. We, we don't know anything about this guy. That's why he doesn't have a name. We're not supposed to know anything about him. It makes more sense in this situation for it to be Boaz because this guy's inability is the point. This episode is supposed to show us redemption is costly. It's not just a whim. It's not just a feeling. It's not just, oh, I think you're cute today. As long as you stay cute, I'll take care of you. No, the redeemer has to be not only willing, but he has to be able to bear the cost, because there's a cost. It's legal, it's official, it's costly. Oh, and so too, those of you in church world, those of you who would call yourself Christians, so often we, we look to other things to be our redeemer, don't we? We confess faith in Jesus, we're faithful in church, but when you get right down to our heart level commitments, we look to other things. Things that make us feel good, they make us feel secure, they make us feel valuable, when you get right down to it, they, they don't have the ability to save us. They leave us anxious. They leave us insecure. For example, one of the biggest ones, and I did this one for a long time, still struggle with it, so I can confess this one. If you're looking to financial stability to give you rest, if you're looking to financial security to be your redeemer, you you don't have peace, you don't have rest because you're constantly thinking about your money, aren't you? You're constantly thinking about this thing and you're not at rest, you're not at peace. Whatever you look to to be your redeemer, if it can't bear the cost and set you free, it actually puts you into a deeper bondage and it makes you more insecure. You become anxious about that especially. See, but your real redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, can bear the cost and set you free. I mean, notice here too, Ruth and Naomi, they needed two things. They needed forgiveness of debt through selling the land and they needed family security through marriage and a child. So they they needed something taken away and they needed something added to their life. They had a double need that only the true redeemer could bear. Oh, and so too the Bible tells us that we have a double need before a holy God. We need freedom from the guilt of our sin. And we need to be made right before God. And only Jesus Christ can bear our double need. We just prayed it, Lord, forgive us our debts. The the biblical idea is it uses finances because we get finances. It says you are in massive debt to God because of your sin. You are guilty and you can't crawl your way out of it. You can try to do all the couponing and you can follow all the Dave Ramsey stuff or Susie Ortman, whoever. You're not gonna crawl out of this debt. It's not gonna happen. You need this debt to be forgiven. And so what Jesus does on the cross when he dies the death for our sin, he gets us to zero. He gets us debt-free. Now, we broke, but we're debt-free. How many of you remember, like, I'll take that deal right now, right? (laughs) Give me. Where do I sign? But that's not, that's only half the story. We have a double need. We also need to be completely holy. God doesn't say, be all right as I'm all right does he? No, he says be holy as I am holy. God says you must be completely perfectly holy and righteous before me. And so the life of Jesus is also given to us to make us fabulously wealthy in God's sight. We have this double need. Theologians call this the great exchange. Where our sins go to Jesus and his righteousness comes to us. And the best verse about this is in 2 Corinthians 5. It says he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God that's a double need that's biblical redemption and we get a foretaste an appetizer a whiff from the kitchen of this right here in Ruth 4 Boaz is going to step up and he's going to pay the high double price for Naomi and Ruth it's costly it's legal and it's official now in an oral culture like this you didn't sign documents because they were illiterate so covenants, legal matters, were sealed with a promise and then a sign, some sort of something pointing to the actual promise. In this time, in this place, real estate deals were made official by taking off your shoe. Now, boys and girls here in the room, that's just silly, isn't it, right? Hey, let's trade sandwiches at lunch, and here, here's my shoe to show I, mean, I really mean it. But we laugh, but before we laugh, let's actually look at it together, okay? Students in the room, let's look at verses seven on page 11, the kids' version. It says this, back then, most people couldn't read or write, and so they didn't sign their names on paper. Instead, they would give their shoe as a promise to do what they said. It's still kind of weird, isn't it, boys and girls? A a shoe? Why would you do that? Well, how how does sealing with a shoe make any sense? Well, it's not sealed with a shoe. It's sealed with a promise. The handing of the shoe is a sign. It points to the promise. Without the promise, it's just a shoe. Let me give you a good example. You know, without certain promises, my hands are swelling, there we go. Without certain promises, this is just a piece of metal, right? It's meaningless. But because of the promise we made in a covenant ceremony before God and before his people, this is now the sign pointing to the promise of marriage. That's what the shoe is. It's just a shoe without the promise. But, But the promise is what it's about and so too, recognize that the promise of redemption in Jesus Christ rests on God's promise. God's promise that he will look on Jesus' life of obedience instead of my life of disobedience. God's promise that he will look on Jesus' death for my sins instead of demanding my death for my sins. And that promise is given to us. And then because he knows we need reinforcement of that, our wonderful redemption, it's sealed with God's promise. And then the sign of that promise that he gives us is what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. Where We do it once a month in this church. Some churches do it every week. Some churches do it quarterly. It doesn't matter. When we take the bread and the wine, those are signs. Those are the wedding bands pointing to the promise of what God will do. That God once again says, yes, I will look on the shed blood and broken body of Jesus. I will give you his righteousness. It reminds us every time we take it of the redemption. That's what this shoe was. It was a sign pointing to the reality of a deeper promise. See this text tells us that the true redeemer can bear the cost. He seals it with a sign because it's real, because it's official. So Boaz is willing and he's able to bear the cost. So as redeemer, he declares what he has done and then he charges the witnesses to confirm it in verses nine and 10. I love this, how Boaz is willing to be this kind, he's willing to be this gracious, he's willing to be this sacrificial of his resources because he knows his God is. The God of the Bible is all about showing love and grace to the wrong kind of people. Outsiders, widows, Moabites, even people like us. You know, as I was studying this story and thinking about it, I I think, and this is just speculation, some caveat, I think Jesus liked this story about his ancestor. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to thousands of witnesses all across you know, the area of Palestine. And just a little quick aside, did you know that? Did you know Jesus appeared to thousands of witnesses, and did you know that the earliest New Testament books, one of them was written, we think, within like 45, excuse me, within 15 years, around AD 45, was one of the earliest New Testament books. And then one of the earliest gospels was written only a couple, like 15 years after that. And in that gospel he keeps talking about people by name because he's saying these people witnessed it, go talk to them, go ask them if you don't believe me. So Jesus appeared to thousands of witnesses and in Luke 24 we see this story where he appears to two particular witnesses the weekend right after his resurrection. They're walking home and Jesus appears to them and he gives them this Old Testament survey class with himself as the main character and when he ends it, he looks at these guys and he says, you are witnesses of these things. The same phrase used here that Boaz uses of the crowd in verse 10. Now it was a common phrase, I'm not saying this is the only place, but it's just such a weird thing that he has just done redemption, just done the sign for redemption in breaking bread with them and says, you are witnesses of these things. It's such a a reflection of what happens here in Ruth 4 that just like Boaz before him as redeemer, Jesus declares what he's done and then he charges his witnesses to confirm it. Y'all, that's all evangelism is, by the way. So often we hear the big scary E word, and we're like, oh, I gotta memorize stuff, I gotta be ready to answer objections, I gotta be, <laughs> and we're stressed and forget it. Da-da-da, da right? So instead, why don't we just recognize all evangelism is is we're not trying to convince people of the gospel, We're simply confirming the redemption that Jesus did. We're bearing witness to the reality of Jesus in our lives. Why do we bear witness? Because the third thing here, redemption is celebrated. I love that when Boaz grabs the shoe, he turns to the crowd and basically says, hey, can I get an amen? I love it. And the crowd in response says verse 11. Let's look at verse 11 of the kids' translation. All the people and the 10 elders said, we saw it. It's a done deal. May our God make Ruth a blessing for the whole nation like Rachel and Leah were. Boaz, we hope you do great things that bless Bethlehem. They actually ask God to make this foreign woman. I don't think you're, you're feeling this right now. Okay, at this point in Israel's history, they were very internally focused, okay? Very much so. They, di- they didn't like foreigners coming in there and taking their jobs. They didn't want that. And they didn't like women, especially unmarried women, very patriarchal at that time. And so for, God, for them to come and say, this foreign unmarried woman is a blessing to our community, is the evidence of the work of God's spirit. They ask God, make her a builder of Israel. This is not a common blessing that they would just do. It's not some sort of rote thing. Okay, the shoe has been exchanged, yes, where all witnesses go. This is uncommon. I mean, what's happening here is in the dark days of the judges, Boaz is going beyond normal and he's expressing real grace, real love. They get it. God's doing something. God's moving through Boaz. God is up to something. The elders and the crowd get a whiff of it, so they ask God to bless them too through Ruth and Boaz. Thank you for this movement of grace, God. We celebrate it and we ask that you please continue to build up our community by your grace through these two. In other words, They worship, they celebrate, they've witnessed a great redemption. God is doing something great in their community and they praise him for the grace in the past and they celebrate hope for the future. Because true redemption is celebrated. The witnesses see it and they rejoice in it because it's substantial, it's thick, it's world changing. Because redemption is about a courtroom and a cost. It's not feelings and whims. So as we wrap this up, what Ruth 4 shows us is that God is a God of redeeming love. He comes in a costly way to those who don't deserve it, to the sinners, the outcasts, the wrong type of people. Boaz here points to that love in the redemption of Ruth, but ultimately that love became human and walked among us. The Bible tells us that Jesus became human because of the love of God for sinners. Jesus comes to the widows, to the Moabites, to the outcasts, to the people like me and you, the Ruths of the world, and he holds out to us the promise of forgiveness and family, a new community with a new home because he'll take your guilt and he'll give you his life to bring you back into God's family. Amen. Do you know Jesus that way? Are you secure and at peace because you're redeemed? Then rejoice. Bear testimony of it to those around you who don't know. Worship God with your whole heart because of the costly redemption he's given you. If you don't know God through Jesus Christ like this, I invite you to come to him today. Repent of your sins. Repent of the weak redeemers you look to and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. He will set you free and he'll make you family. Now let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, your grace is too much. It really is, Lord. It's almost embarrassing how lavishly kind you are to us that it was while we were yet sinners, while we were holding an obstinate fist of rebellion in your face, taunting you, that you sent your Son to be our Redeemer, to live the life we should have lived before you, to die the death we should die before your justice, and to be raised to promise us new life in him. Father, we pray that as Jesus Christ has been lifted up shown to be crucified for our sins and raised for our life, that you would be true to your promise, that you would draw all people to him. Would you even now in these moments, Lord, build your kingdom so that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask all of this, Lord, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.